He's saying, boy, I love that song, don't you? I bring an offering to the Lord. What a wonderful song. We are doing a campaign through the month of December of 2015 entitled Join the Journey. I hope and pray you got this in the mail this week, the postcard. And uh, I believe there's one there for you today. And this day is bring a friend. And uh, if you brought a friend today, would you just stand? And we want to recognize, let's just give all of our friends a big hand for being here today. If you brought a friend, stand right up. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We are honored to have you. And it is our joy today just to, to uh, recognize you and thank you for being a part of our service. Next week is December the 13th, and uh, it's Journey with Generosity. And we're encouraging our people, bring a gift. And it uh, doesn't have to have a name on it, but maybe spot someone. Uh, just a, it have to be a big gift, a small gift, just maybe something you make. Uh, maybe a gift card or something uh, that you can just go up and present to someone and say, hey, thank you for just being faithful to the Lord. Or just go up and say, hey, just because of Jesus, you know, because of what he's done for us. But we just want to next week just use that time as a celebration. So we encourage you to bless a new friend, somebody that you don't know. And uh, do that, and that just creates a bond of, of friendship. December the 20th on a Sunday, it's a big day right here at Crossroads. We've got a big nativity set. We're building from ground zero right here in the center on the floor level and with Mary and Joseph, and we have the baby already lined up, and we've got the wise men and the shepherds. Beautiful. In fact, we're asking some of our children to come down and be a part of that service um, to, to, to worship with us. A beautiful time where you will actually have a chance uh, to, to lay your offering uh, in the actual cradle of, of baby Jesus or a, a chest in front of it. So we are encouraging everyone to celebrate with us on December 20th, that's the week of Christmas, and, and just worship Jesus Christ, keeping him number one uh, in, our, in our life, in our faith, in our hearts. And that'll be a beautiful service. We encourage you to come. And then on December the 27th, we'll be having our communion service, and we're going to be renewed with purpose as we look at the new year of 2016. Now, if the Lord tarries, I pray that 2016 will be a little better than 2015. And all God's people said, I don't know about y'all, 2015 was a tough year for, for me and for our family, and uh, I'm just looking for a better year in 2016. The best year could be on January 1st, the rapture happens, and we just all go home to be with the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. And I know some of you, there's a couple out here that are engaged, and it's like, no, 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 no. After we get married for about a week, then he can come take us home. But uh, we don't want to wait. So, sorry, we, we want to get out. So, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of going as soon as we can go to be with the Lord. Amen? I'm like the Apostle Paul, for it is better to be with the Lord than for us to remain. Today, I want to talk to you about the man who tried to kill Christmas. It's an interesting story. It's, in fact, in the book of, of, of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, you don't mind if I sit for a second, do you? The introduction's like four hours, and uh, oh, thank you, thank you. So uh, see, I, I just want to enjoy the moment like you, sitting in a chair. But uh, this is a, a, a beautiful story, but it's, it's, it's a dark story. There's a, there's a dark side of Christmas that sometimes we kind of overlook. 
In fact, uh, I've had people ask me, what's the miracle about Christmas all about anyway? What, why, is, why is Christmas tagged as, as the miracle of miracles? And, and, and the foremost, number one, front and center, the elephant in the room, is the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. The woman never knew anybody physically, didn't know any man physically. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, is what we call the Immaculate Conception, where she actually conceived a child from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit placed a seed in her womb, and as you well know, the male seed is where the blood is. And so, therefore, that blood was perfect blood. That was the blood of God. And so, Jesus Christ was different than you and I in the fact that he was virgin-born. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's why his blood was so powerful. It could wash away the sins of all mankind because it was the perfect blood of God that had the potent power to wash the dirtiest sin away. And that offering and that fountain of cleansing is opened up to everybody. That's why the Bible says, whosoever will may come. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord in faith and trusts Jesus Christ experiences something dynamic and powerful, and that is a cleansing from the blood of Jesus Christ that happened 2,000 years ago. He washes away your sin. And I'm so thankful for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That's the big miracle. But I'm not going to talk about the virgin birth today. I want to talk about another miracle. It's, it's a miracle that is, that is marvelous, but you've got to understand the backdrop of the story. In fact, very few people know this about the Christmas story. And you really need to know it because the Bible and also Jewish historians, they, they give us the color of all this. And it is about a man who tried to kill Christmas even before Christmas got here. It's a strange and bizarre story, and, and it sounds like something that shouldn't be in the Bible. It doesn't seem like we should all read it during the Christmas season. And I know some of you are thinking, why are you talking about the dark side of Christmas? Because, you know, my heart's full of joy. And it doesn't sound right in the middle of all of our Christmas carols, the beautiful songs that the praise team just sang. And, and, it, and it doesn't look right surrounded by sparkling lights and candy canes, and, and it kind of takes away the luster and the joy of Christmas it kind of leads us like with a pit in our stomach because like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that, that Christmas is so dynamic or so wonderful basically because of where it came from. And after all, this is the season to be jolly. It's joy to the world. Hark the herald angels sing and, and Santa Claus is coming to town and I'll be home for Christmas. Jingle bell rock and it's all wonderful. And, and, and it's Christmas and everyone ought to be happy, Right. The answer is no. There was one man in history who was not happy about Christmas. In fact, he's angry about the whole thing, has been angry about it. And, and like Ebenezer Scrooge, who said, bah humbug on Christmas, and, and, and like the Grinch who stole Christmas. I watched that the other day with, uh, uh, with Jim Carrey with my grandkids, and I thought to myself, wow, he was mean. And, uh, and we think about all of this, and there are some people that would prefer Christmas go away altogether. And I've met a few Grinches. I've met a few Scrooges in my lifetime. Not many, but I've met a few who, who just didn't like Christmas at all and didn't appreciate the spiritual significance of Christmas. 
But there's, there's a guy who was really anti-Christmas altogether, and he's not a make-believe character. This guy is for real in history. He hated Christmas, and he's a man in history who is called Herod the Great, and his story is found in Matthew chapter 2. And, and it just really give me your attention for a few moments because this will make you appreciate your Christmas. This will make you sing a little louder. This will make you be a little happier because it's something all of us need to know. And we all know the story about Jesus being born in the manger, Mary and Joseph, and the, the shepherds and the wise men, and, and they worshiped him. We all know that story. We see, the, we see it played out in nativity time and time again. But there's a backdrop to the story that really makes this story of Christmas really miraculous. There's this guy named King Herod. He was, he was serving as king for about 40-some years before 1 AD, before, after the death of Christ. And he's, he was serving years before Jesus was ever born. In fact, he was 25 years old when they, they, they dubbed him as, as king of the Jews. The Romans liked King Herod. They, they liked him a lot because, number one, he really wasn't a Jew. And secondly, he was not really uh, one that embraced the Jewish religion. But he was well-loved by a lot of people at that time when he was 25 is because he married into a very popular Jewish rich family, the Hasmoneans, and he married this young, beautiful lady named Miriam. And uh, he married her, and, and, and it wasn't about till seven or eight years his real nature came out. He really ended up being a very cruel, hateful man. And like all despots, uh, the Jews hated him. And over the years, this guy became a serial killer. He killed hundreds of people. The guy thrived on killing. Uh, if, and he, he became this paranoid king who, who, who really was thinking that everybody was after his throne. And if you looked cross-eyed at him, he'd have you killed. He was just a mean hateful man. In fact, a lot of the theologians and the historians, Jewish historians, said that, that he was a malevolent, malevolent maniac. They said he was barbaric. They even called him a pervert. They said he was just as evil of a man. He loved to kill people just for sport. Yet he was called the king of the Jews. And there was one day that his mother-in-law questioned one of his rules. And because she questioned one of his rulings, he had his mother-in-law murdered. He said, off of their head. They cut her head. And then it wasn't long till some of his brothers began to question his zany ruling, and he had all of his brothers killed. And then it wasn't long before his wife came to him, and he was making this ruling for the nation of Israel because he was king, and it was really anti-Israeli, and he made this bad ruling, and he had his wife killed when he was at the age of 44. He had her killed, but he loved his wife, Miriam. In fact, that was the beginning of the end for him because at the age of 44, and he lived till about 70 years of age, everything went south for him. In fact, his life became, it fell apart. Everything about his life was about killing. It was his nature to kill. And, 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 and in fact, it wasn't long before his two sons who began to question all the bloodshed, and he turned around and he had both of his sons hung. He, put them on the gallows and killed them. And then had their bodies cut up. Who does that to their kids? And no wonder Caesar Augustus says it's safer to be Herod's horse than it is to be his son. 
his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-laws, his brothers, his two sons, and um, thousands of people died at the hand of King Herod. This guy was ultimately wicked. He was innate wicked. If you could cut his heart open and look inside, it'd be nothing but black poison. This guy was evil. And you would know that Jesus would be born under the rulership of one of the wicked tyrants of that day. And one day he was in his palace and probably eating his breakfast. And two of his men come in and said, hey, we got, two, we got several foreigners, uh, three or four of these guys who just came into town. They're strangers, and I think they're from Persia. And they're asking a very peculiar question. They're, they're asking this question, where is this young baby that is born king of the Jews? Now, him being paranoid, the old king of the mountain complex, he became very threatened. Now, it's obvious he is near 70 years of age. He has a very serious disease. He knows he's not going to live long. He's threatened with a baby. And the Bible says that him being crafty, now, just because he was evil and because he was black on the inside and just as innate evil as you can imagine in your heart, the worst tyrant, the worst serial killer of all times, greater than Hitler and Stalin and 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 all the other evil guy despots, you would have thought that he would have not have been threatened about this baby, but he was sick with jealousy. So, but he was not dumb. He was clever. He was crafty. He was subtle. He was deceitful. So he conjured up a plot to find out about this baby. And this got his curiosity. Now, he, he'd been around Jewish people a long time, even though he himself wasn't a Jew. He knew that they had been talking about they were praying for a Messiah to come to deliver them from the, the throes or the dominance of Roman, the Roman government, the Roman Empire. Jews were slaves to the Romans back in, the Roman people back then. And, and the Jewish people had been in slavery for so many years, and they were praying, God, send us a deliverer. And so this King Herod, he had heard tales about this guy, but I don't think he fully believed that God would actually send. But then he heard that this baby was already born, and he said, what's that, what's that, what, 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 what? There's a baby born who is in prophecy called the king of the Jews. Now, the Romans had already given him the title as the king of the Jews, and the Romans loved the fact that King Herod was wicked because the Israel people to them were slaves. Beat them down. Beat them as long as, as much as you want. So King Herod hears about this baby, and he thinks to himself. Now, he says, if I send an army of guys to go check out where this baby is born, then it's going to draw attention and everybody's going to want to know about this baby. So I'm going to keep this thing undercover. So I, I can't send an army. He says, well, I can't send some spies because that'll draw attention. And, and thirdly, I can't go myself because if I go, then that means I have to be confronted with this God child. And he knew he was a wicked man. So he knew that he couldn't be confronted with that. So he knew he had a serious dilemma. So he came up with this great idea. He said, I got an idea. Call this the Magi in. Call in these wise men. And the wise men met with King Herod, and they didn't know about him being evil. They didn't, you know, they didn't have Google it, and they didn't have newspapers, so they didn't know how evil the intent of this man was. So, so Magi, I mean, the Magi met with King Herod, and, and, and 
King Herod said, oh, I heard that you uh, found out about this baby what was born, and uh, how'd you know about this? And they said, well, we, we've read the prophecies in the Old Testament, and we read that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and, and, and we heard about a star that would lead us and guide us to him, and we saw the star in the east, so we followed him, and he's born, and we've come to worship him, and we figured since you're king of the Jews, and because you are the head honcho here in the, in the, in the state of Israel, we just figured you would know all about him, and by now you would be worshiping him. And he said, said, well, just hold on for a minute. So he goes and he meets with his scribes, King Herod does. Now, a scribe is a person basically that copied the scriptures. That's what a scribe was. Their job was to, with great perfection, copy it from one paper to another paper to, to preserve the word of God. So he, he got up with all of his theologians and he said, hey, you guys, is there anything in the Bible? And they said, oh, yeah. And the scribe said, we know all about it. It's in the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that a star would guide him to that place. And, and they just, I mean, they just told everything to King Herod, and he got all the information. So King Herod said, thank you. So he went back, and he, he met with all the guys, uh, the, the wise men, and this is what he said. He said, I tell you what, guys, you go ahead and follow that star, and when you find that little baby, he's talking to a serial killer now. When you find that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, would you come and get me so I can bow my knee and worship him too? And so the wise men, they said, yeah, sure. So they went. And as they went, the Holy Spirit said, don't go back and warn King Herod. And the wise men did exactly. They followed the star and they came to the place where the baby was born. And there, the Bible says, they opened up their gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, all typifying gifts to a king. And there, the shepherds were worshiping God. There, many of those who have received the Lord worshiped him. And there was the Christ child, the beautiful child. The star led them to that place. And it was a beautiful, magnificent scene to actually see this little baby that was not born from a man, but born from a woman, but from God, the incarnate, meaning God in the flesh of a man, they looked upon this radiant holy child. This was a magnificent miracle. They looked at the face of the creator of the world. I love that song. Mary, did you know that that boy one day would walk on water? Mary, did you know that, you're, that your baby is called the great I am? Did you know that your baby is the son of... Did you know that your baby is the one that created the sun, the earth, the moon? Did you know that that little baby created all of humanity? It is that baby. God baby in that cradle. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. And after they worshiped, they started to return back to Jerusalem where King Herod was. And God said, don't, don't go there. The miracle of God's divine protection of his child. They, the Bible says they were warned of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible says they went another way. They went east. And Mary and Joseph were warned of God. Leave this little town of Bethlehem, head toward Egypt, and there you'll save the baby. Well, it wasn't long before King Herod kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and 
where are the wise men? And he was pacing the floor every day. Well, where are the wise men? Now, you got to understand that, that Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. That's about a day's journey. And he kept waiting and waiting in two days, three days. And, hey, these guys are not coming back. They tricked me. The old trickster got tricked himself. The old con artist got conned himself. The old liar got lied to, and he got angry. And the Bible says he was furious that, that these wise men were able to see through their, his plot of trickery, and he became enraged. Now he wouldn't know where the baby was. He was angry, and so he decided to do something radical, and this blows our mind. This shows you the depravity of all depravity. The king became so enraged, King Herod, he decided, he said, all right, you guys didn't get one on me. I'm going to have every baby killed, every little baby boy from two and under. I'm going to slit their throats with a sword. And he dispatched his ungodly minions and they went into Bethlehem in the middle of the night they broke and kicked down doors and they grabbed little babies and they grabbed one by the leg and one by the arm and they'd slit their throats and they killed every baby boy and the Bible says by morning all the soldiers were gone the blood was in the streets women were crying and screaming and you know how precious your children are you can't even fathom something so wicked as that to kill all these babies and King Herod's laughing thinking now I have killed the Messiah and the miracle of Christmas is God has a way to look into the hearts of men he can read the motives of men he sees through our wickedness and God moves ahead of us at all times let me tell you something I don't care how wicked a man is God's always ahead of you God brought that baby safely to Egypt King Herod had murdered so many people, yet the most important person of all he couldn't touch because the miracle of Christmas is this, is not only is he a virgin-born baby, but he is the divine protected one by a sovereign God. You're saying, wow, that's a great story. It's not a fake story. Read about it, and in fact, I, I, I have to just, listen, I'm just like looking at my notes. I have to pass this, pass this because of time. And I, we could elaborate so much more on the wickedness and the vileness of this king. But more than that, we see the triumphant, sovereign power of God to fulfill his plan and purpose. And I want you to know something here. Wickedness may try and attempt to thwart or try to ruin the purposes of God. But I, I got news for you. When it comes to God, when it comes to his power, he always trumps the devil. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what comes against you. Praise his name. Give him glory. You might be facing something right now and evil is coming up against you. Just wait on the Lord. Let God trumpet for you in his time. Wait patiently for him. Now, as I, I was reading the story of, of, of Christmas, I love, I, love, I love Matthew. I love Matthew's account. It's beautiful. But you know, something st st struck me as I was reading this. There are three different responses to the story of Christmas. And I thought, wow, that's practical application for us today. There are three different responses, all 
groups of people received the proper right information, but all three different groups of people responded differently to the Christmas story. The first group were those who had deep resentment toward the birth of Christ. There are those who, who love to say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the existence of God. I don't. And they go on this passionate ride to disprove the reality of God. Now, let me tell you something. I don't believe in Bigfoot, but if I don't really believe in Bigfoot, I'm not going to spend my whole life trying to prove that there's a Bigfoot. You know why? Because if I don't believe he exists, I'm going to go on with my life and live, you know, do something meaningful. The fact that, that, that atheists who claim that there is no God are so passionate tells me that something more that they don't believe in God, it just tells me in their heart they want to reject the holiness of God, the beauty of God, the magnificence of God. There's something in the sinful heart of man that resists God. The Bible says that though we were enemies, we were alienated from God. There's something, there's this bent in us that we resist the things of God. There are some people who have a deep-seated resentment of Christmas and the real meaning of Christmas. That's why they like to go to Rudolph and Snowman and Santa, because it's a diversion away from Christ. And I'm here to tell you, Christ is the whole reason why we have the Christmas season. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's his birthday. It's history. It's all about him. There are people who have a deep resentment toward nativity scenes, and, and there are people on campaigns, and they're working as hard as they can to, to get rid of the nativity sets, get rid of the baby Jesus in, in, the, in the manger, and let's, let's just secularize Christmas altogether. Let's, let's banish Christ out of Christmas. They're on a mission to do so. So the first response are there are some people who have a deep resentment. They're the grandchildren of Herod. just anti-God, always saying blasphemous things, accusing God, just railing against him. I, I don't know about you, but I believe God loves Sunday mornings because his people come into his house and lift up their voice and praise the one who was cursed on the earth. It is wonderful music to the ears of angels. It is the wonderful music of the saints of God in heaven. It is wonderful music to the ears of Jesus when the saints of God praise him in the sanctuary of the house of God. He's worthy to be praised. There are some who have a deep resentment. And then there's a second group. There are the indifferent, lukewarm. This is, amazes me. This, listen, I, it hit me when I was reading about the scribes. Uh, Herod met with these religious theologians, and he said, hey, do you guys know about this guy named Jesus? Or, or do you guys know about this God child? Or, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we know about it. Uh, we know a star. We know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. We know all about it. We know about his life. We know about his death. We know about he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. We know he's going to die. He's going to be buried. They knew all of these things. They knew that he was the son of God. They knew that he was the Messiah. Intellectually, academically, they had it all here, but didn't have it here. And so the theologians look over to the wise men and say, Oh, uh, by the way, when you find us, let us know. We'll sure send you a postcard. The Messiah was being born six, was born six miles 
from the house of Jerusalem, and they couldn't even walk down there to go. You talk about indifference. They had the knowledge, but it never moved them. I thought, whoa, that sounds like the church of the 21st century. We have so much information, but very little response. We live in a day of lukewarmness, indifference. People just don't care. They'll tell you about the story. And let me tell you something. Just knowing information doesn't make you a believer. The scribes knew. The scribes ought to have been the first one down there at the stable dancing and praising God around. I mean, they should have been the first ones praising God even more so than the shepherds. They knew scripturally. You're saying, what's the worst sin? Was it worse than Herod? No, the worst sin was the scribes. They had the knowledge. They had the scripture. But they never responded with a heart of belief. Just indifferent. The Bible says the church... The state of the church before the rapture, before God takes us all home to be with him, is going to be lukewarm. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I pray that's not our spirit at Crossroads. I pray that the people Crossroads have such a vibrant love for Jesus Christ. And even though the world may be lukewarm, I pray that in this corner of Elkton, there is a group of people that have a very vibrant heart of faith and excitement for the reality of Jesus Christ. And they know how to enter into a praise and a worship toward him. So there's the indifferent. And there's the third group, meaningful worshipers. This is amazing. You got the king of the Jews over here, Herod, hating Christ. Then you got another group that are, they know intellectually everything. Their Bible study, they got all the information, but they're dead as can be. And and then you got this third group who are foreigners, they're Gentiles, they're Persians, and, and They're just studying the scriptures and they find the prophecies and they load up their camels and they travel for weeks and weeks and literally months at a time. They bring their best gifts and they come and they worship the creator of the world. And they get, whoa. Thank God for worshipers. Let me ask you a question this Christmas season. What group do you fall in? Are you one that are, oh, I hate Christmas. I hate what it stands for. I, uh, do you have a deep-seated resentment of who Christ is? Your creator? The one who has the power to give you eternal life? The one who has the power to forgive you for sins? The one who can grant you to live in heaven with him forever and bypass hell forever? Do you have a deep resentment toward the holiness of God, the precious word of God, the holiness of God? Do you fall in Herod's crowd? Wow, I hope not. Or maybe you're, maybe you just like a lot of Bible information. You just love knowledge and facts, and, but it doesn't do anything for you. You know about the facts of Christmas, but it doesn't affect you in your lifestyle in your speech, in your behavior, in your giving. Or maybe you're in that third group. You're like, I've seen him in the scripture. I love him. I want to worship him. I want to magnify him. I want to give my best to him. I'll travel to and fro. The difference is worth the distance. All God's people said, 
the difference is worth the distance. These Persian kings, they all caught together and said, you know what, it's going to be a long trip. It's going to be a rigorous trip. It's going to be a hard trip. It's a long trip, but it's worth it because we're going to stand there and look in the face of our creator, God. And we're going to lay our best, not just something we have as an excess in our kingdom, but we're going to give our best. Give, give me the best gold that I have. Give me the best myrrh and frankincense. Give me the best. Give me the, the gift for a king, something that will cost me something. And let me lay it at his Let me worship the king of kings. Let me worship the Lord God Almighty. What group do you fall in? There was a king in the Old Testament that said when he was confronted with Christ, to the crucifixion of Christ. And the Bible says he cared for none of those things. Well, I'm not really into spiritual things. I'm not really into the things. I'm not into the Bible or church religion. I'm just, I'm just really a secular person. Then you fall in the scribe section. Indifferent. Herod's crowd. The scribes. Religious, but dead. And thirdly, the worshipers. Where do you fall? Now, the good news is you don't have to stay in Herod's crowd this morning. You don't have to stay in the, the scribe's side. You can come over to the worshiper's side by just acknowledging he is God. He is my creator. This Christmas season can be the most significant Christmas ever for you because you know what? You can crown him king in your life. You can elevate him out of the status of dead religion and put him on the throne of your heart and say, you know what? I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to honor him. The first day of the week, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to live my life that it pleases him. I want my language to reflect him. The things that I do, I wanted to honor him because he's my God. He's my savior. I want to emulate him. This morning, what crowd are you going to get into? If we went from the front to back and I said, what crowd are you? I think you'd be surprised. Some people who are proud to be in Herod's group. Some are proud to be in the scribes. But I pray this morning that you would say, I'm in the crowd with the worshipers. And I want you to know something. I'm proud to be with the worshipers. I just want to give them all the glory. I thank God I'm not going to hell. I thank God that he did come, friends. Had Jesus Christ not come 2,000 years ago, had he not come, we would all be in deep trouble. Had he not come. But he came. He came 2,000 years ago. He broke the silence of heaven. He, he broke through the clouds. He, he came down, and, and the, the lofty Son of God took up a human form and was born in a smelly manger. He left the fragrance of heaven to a smelly, dirty, rotten world. He came down, and he lived his life and gave his life as a sacrifice. He, being God, shed his blood, the only blood that can wash away the sins of man. That's why there is no other name under heaven whereby a man must be saved because he's the only man who is God and man at the same time and who has the power to save. There aren't any other doors. There's only one door. It's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Give him praise this morning in the house of God. Lift your voice and praise the Lord God Almighty. Lift his name up and praise his name. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. 
great things he hath done. Let's pray. Pray with me this 